podcast with me, Gary Jerome McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. I actually don't know your middle name, Patty. What's your middle name? Sean. Sean. It's very Irish. You know, I prefer. Jerome. Jerome. Jerome is also a very Irish name. Yeah, you just pronounce it Jerome or Jerome if you're not from Kerry. But in Kerry, Jerome will do the job. Gary Germ. Uh, McGowan. Gary Germ. McGowan. Um, but yes, Gary, enough of your fucking nonsense. Um, what are we going to be discussing today? We're going to be talking a little bit about sleep. Quite a popular topic um, for good reason. Probably more popular in the last two to two and a half years since Matthew Walker brought out his book, Why We Sleep. Which is um, going to be linked below in the description. Yeah, because it, it is a, a great book and he's done some you know great speaking and great advocacy for people focusing on sleep a little bit more. And you can see how that has proliferated into the fitness industry. You know, there's a lot more talk about sleep. There's a lot more talk about, you know, quote unquote, hacking your sleep and, and that sort of stuff. And I guess the reason we wanted to talk about that is because like fundamentally in terms of actual solutions and guidelines, like it's actually, they're relatively simple in theory, practice a little bit more difficult, but you do see some people on the other side of the spectrum then like going totally crazy with sleep, like taking like hundreds of euros worth of supplements a month when we don't even have evidence to show that like this actually makes any meaningful difference. So actually we have evidence, we have evidence to the contrary to show that it makes no meaningful difference. But yes. anyway, I'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so there's lots of th things that have become popular. Like for example, one would be CBD, you know, loads of people have been taking CBD, cannabidiol oil, um, like whether they're vaping it or whatever, they've been taking it for the last, like that's been trendy probably for one to two years. Um, it's still kind of getting more popular in some circles, but because like my, my mom was even talking about it the last day. She was like, what's the story with the CBD stuff? Is it, does, it make, does it help you sleep? And like, again, there's loads of trials on that, or there's, there's trials on that showing again, no effect. So, so yeah, there's a lot of things that can be potentially useful before you start to venture off into the wilderness. And so that's the purpose of this topic. Yeah, um, I just want to say that Matthew Walker is an absolute chad. Um, and I was a neuroscientist. I know, and I don't like, that's what I was going to say. Like, I don't usually like neuroscience at all because it's fake. Um, but he is an absolute fucking chad. And he is someone that has, I, like I was thinking about it in response to like obviously us planning this, this podcast. Uh, I was thinking, I was like, he's probably actually done quite a lot for people's health in general than more people actually give him credit for. You know, like he has essentially single-handedly changed the conversation around sleep in a lot of circles that would potentially traditionally been, you know, all oh, sleep less, it's much better, you know, get more work done type thing, you know, whereas he's changed that conversation to, you know, this is actually going to allow you to be more productive, to enjoy better health, mm -hmm. to perform better, you know? So it's like, like he just as an individual has done more than, people give him credit for you know and i think it's mainly because excuse me if you do read his book you'll find that he has a very 
very nice way of explaining things in terms of he doesn't put it as like a very preachy way. He's not like, oh, you should be sleeping more. He's just laying out yeah. some facts and it's like, okay, well, this is what we ex- you experience in relation to this, whatever, depression, fucking performance, whatever the fuck, in response to not getting enough sleep. So he lays out the facts and he's like, you know, it would probably be a good idea to get more sleep. You know, it's not very preachy. It's not very like, oh, you're a bad person because you don't get... 20 hours of sleep a day you know it's, it's it's not like that and then he gives some very actionable steps to improving sleep and sleep quality uh in the book as well so it's like it, like i think the fact that he's just very rational and very non-alarmist you know just very moderate in what he's saying and it's just very factual it, it's it has translated into people actually listening to him rather than someone who might have been coming out with the exact same message, but being very, say, radical in it, being like, oh, you need to be sleeping 10 hours per day. You need to be doing this. And it's like, okay, well, like, I'm not going to listen to you because you sound crazy, you know? Uh, so definitely pick that book up if you haven't read it before. I think there's a, an audiobook version of it. There uh, is, yeah. Which, fuck it, I might link that as well below. Who knows? <laughs> um but yeah, I definitely would recommend getting onto that. So in today's episode, we're not really going to go into, we'll say, sleep physiology because there's a, there's a lot to it. And I could get into like REM sleep. We can get into you know different phases of sleep. You know, like all that stuff. And like, well, yes, a lot of, a lot of unknowns as well. That's what I was going to say. Well, yes, yeah. it's all interesting and it's you know obviously relevant to this whole conversation. I don't think we know enough. Like we still actually yeah. don't really know what sleep does, right? We know we know correlates. We know like a, yeah. well, sleep is correlated with this. Like we don't actually know the exact mechanisms. We don't actually know the exact function. You know, like I always think of it, like if you actually look at life, the development of life, like it actually makes more sense that sleep is the normal state where uh, awake or wakefulness is not the normal state. Because, you know, especially if we grew up yeah, as whatever we'll say evolved from like phytoplankton type fucking things uh you know anyway that's a that's a complete aside uh but so today's episode rather than being about the physiology and all that kind of stuff what we want to do is talk through some actionable steps that you can do right now to improve your sleep so basically we're assuming you have some buy-in you're like okay so sleep is important you know I'm willing to try improve my sleep. How do I go about that? What are some targets to aim for, you know, hours wise and that kind of stuff. And, and then how do I actually go about implementing a plan to sleep more, you know? Now, obviously there's some people that will benefit from this, but you know, it's not, it's actually, well, rather it's an actual issue for them and, they may need to get more help than is actually available on this podcast. So I'm just going to put that out there straight away. Like if you're an insomniac, you know, just going, oh, let's uh, improve your sleep hygiene. Yeah. You know, that's, it's probably not going to be enough. There's probably some underlying issue that needs to be addressed, you know, or you could, especially because I know like a, a good few bodybuilders and stuff listen to the podcast. You could have something like sleep apnea or something because your traps are so fucking massive and, you know, uh, and you might just need to get something like a, a CPAP machine or something to actually be able to get your sleep in order, you know? And so there are obviously medical conditions that 
while this information may apply, it may be helpful in those conditions, you know, you, you probably need to talk to someone about that, some a medical professional, not two fucking lads on uh, the airwaves, you know? Um, so the first thing I think we should discuss is the concept of the, the quantity, right? Because that's, that's something that people hear all these things. And uh, I always think it's funny because everyone always assumes they're an outlier, you know, uh, with regard to sleep, you know, like, so you'll say like the general recommendation is we'll say what, seven to nine hours, roughly that. That's what people say, seven to nine hours of sleep. Everyone always assumes that they're a, a five to six hour person, you know? And again, like there's times in your life that you're going to have to do that. Like we, we had to, had to do that, uh, at the start of triage because we had a lot of stuff going on in college you know, starting the business and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, sleep took a hit, but again, like that was a, a calculated thing to some extent and not something that was sustainable long-term, you know, but also we were kind of stupid about it as well. Like we, we, definitely, we definitely could have slept more and still got, well, who the fuck knows. Um, but yeah, so I always think that the best, best place to start is with the, 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 the recommendation that's going to help the most people, which is generally seven to nine hours, right? And when I say that, I mean sleep hours, right? Yes. So that means that you have to also factor in how long it takes you to get to sleep, right? Because what people will do is they'll say, oh yeah, I'm in bed for eight hours and that means I get eight hours of sleep, right? When in reality, it took them 40 minutes to get to sleep, right? And then they woke up during the night for half an hour, right? So they weren't actually asleep for eight hours, right? So they've just uh, equated their sleep opportunity, that eight-hour chunk of time that they've allotted to sleep with their actual sleep, right? Which they're not, obviously they're related, but they're not the same, right? So the way I kind of get people to go around this is to get some sort of tracking, either an app on your phone or you know, a lot of like smartwatches these days will, will track your sleep. And that's generally how I uh, track sleep. You know, you use something like that and then you can actually see some verifiable data in terms of, okay, I was actually asleep for eight hours when I said I was, you know, rather than saying like, oh, uh, my sleep opportunity is eight hours and you're only asleep for five of those, right? And so that obviously is a bit of a, a paradigm shift for some people because a lot of people just think of sleep opportunity as sleep hours, right? When it's not the same. So I generally recommend getting some sort of tracking. Like there's so many apps available. You can just download, you know, some of them are based on noise, some of them are based on movement, some of them are based on like, you know, if you have a, a chest strap monitor, uh, you can also get again, like some smartwatch or something. They generally track sleep. <clears throat> There's loads of ways of doing it. There's also, you know, the rings and stuff uh, you can get. I actually don't care about uh, what one you use, right? I don't even care if it is the most accurate, right? What we're actually just looking for is a consistent measure. So something that we can consistently measure over time and then see how things are improving or how things are, you know, not going the way we, we want them to do, want them to go, right? So... What are your thoughts on that that first topic there, Gary? So people not equating sleep opportunity with sleep uh, and then also how do they overcome that and actually, you know, 
track the amount of sleep that they're actually getting. Yeah. So, so this is like, I, I like to use my own kind of like personal, exa personal examples when discussing this stuff, because I think it's actually more helpful to hear like real world examples. So this is something that I've actually specifically been working on recently is, is trying to extend my sleep further because I've been kind of like for the first time in like probably like a long time, I've, I've got some like pretty clear goals as it relates to my training, but also like career. So work triage and like education. So like there's, there's very definitive things in the pipeline and that like I've got a marathon booked. There's another like BJJ competition I want to do. I've got exams in six weeks and we're working a lot of stuff for triage. So for me, I'm like, right, I want to get like every edge I can possibly get. So I've been essentially reviewing like all the things that could potentially feed into that. One of those things has been sleep and I use a Garmin watch. Okay. So I've got a Garmin four runner, two, three, five, right? People always ask literally every day on Instagram. Um, so there you go. <laughs> but that's the watch that I have. And I use that for tracking, you know, activity and it also happens to track sleep. And what I do in my, in my tracking document is like, I use the same tracking document for myself as I like use with our triage clients. So what I've got in there is like a section on sleep. Um, and the way I track it, like people, I don't expect everyone to do this because it does, it takes a bit of time is I'll write down like sleep. So number of hours, um, deep, uh, light, and then the number of wakes, like I'm most concerned with the number of wakes and the hours because the deep and light, like that's kind of a, a two compartment model of like your sleep quality. Like, ah, it's, it's, it's not, it might give you some indication, but it's not that great. And I'd rather rely on like how you actually, how rested you feel when you wake up in the morning than hoping that that was correct. And um, you do have other like other com compartment models, like some, some tracking devices claim to. Like as move further away from, the very clear quantifiable things like when you were asleep and um, the less reliable that's likely to be um, at least at this point in time with the tracking devices that we have so so anyway to get to the point what i was doing then was reviewing right multiple weeks of data of like how long i was actually spending asleep and it was most of the time for me it was like between seven and seven and a half hours so i was like all right you know that that's not too bad that's a significant improvement on where i would have been two years ago but then what i did like more specifically was I went back into the app and I was actually looking at, right, when did it say I actually went to sleep and when did it say I got up? And what I started to find was that my app was actually, you know, when you get into bed and you start to relax, sometimes I read a few pages of a book to kind of wind down. Um, and it was saying that I was falling asleep then because my heart rate was, was down low enough. So because I've got a, generally a low resting heart rate, I can get there really quickly and it'll tell me I'm asleep. So what I was finding was that I was having a discrepancy of between 15 and 45 minutes um, of where it was saying I was actually asleep when I really wasn't. And if you say that the average was a half an hour, then that brings me down then to like six and a half to seven hours of sleep on average, which is like, ah, it's on the edge of, of being useful, but it's probably not best for someone who's doing a lot of training, a lot of studying, like if you want to get the most out of that. So my general rule of thumb for people then is to say, all right, if we assume that you're, there's some error in terms of like what you're actually measuring when you say you slept X amount of hours, like add on at least 30 to 60 minutes. So if you want to sleep eight hours per night, if that's your goal, set out nine hours between your wake, your sleeping time and waking time, and that's your time in bed. 
because that for me is the most reliable way of increasing the amount of hours that you're actually asleep because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure the specific value of like the average time of sleep onset. I think it's around 20 minutes, like that rings a bell, um, but I, I can't particularly remember. But that's going to vary between individuals anyway, and all you really care about is yourself. So if you think about like how long it takes you to get to sleep, it could be 30 minutes. Um, I know like generally some, some people as they move later on in life can struggle a lot more. Like I know my, my own mom could take her at least an hour sometimes, if not multiple hours to get to sleep. Um, especially if you're, you know, if you've got a lot of stress in your life or anything like that, that can be a problem. So you want to factor that in. How long is it taking you to get to sleep? And also then when you're waking up in the morning, have a think about like what that actually looks like. Because one of the things people do that is really, really stupid <laughs> like, is like, cause I know lots of people that do this, um, probably people that just hate their jobs, but they set alarms like an hour and a half before they have to get up and then they'll have one every half an hour so that they can just wake up and know that they still have time to go back to sleep. <laughs> yes. Hurts my brain, right? But, but people do that. So again, that's all taking away from the amount of time you're actually spending asleep. And then the final thing is to consider like how many times you're actually waking up during the night. Because if you're waking up for three by 10 minute periods, that again is taking a half an hour away from your sleep, but also it's affecting the individual sleep cycles that you're getting. So like sleep runs in cycles, if you're not doing that you're then restarting a cycle and you you mightn't get the full potency of that sleep so again it's it's an interplay between like when you go to bed when you're getting up when you're actually asleep and how many times you're waking during the night so what i would say to people is find a way to increase the amount of time you are spending in bed, whether it's awake or asleep, because that is the most reliable way of increasing the number of hours you're actually going to be asleep. Yep. And uh, again, to put that into kind of context with other things that layer onto that, you know, you should try use your bed only for sleeping, right? Because what you'll also see what people will do with this is, you know, they'll, start watching like a, a Netflix series or whatever uh, before they go to bed. And like, even though they're like, like you're saying, they'll, they'll do what you say and go, I have nine hours, I'm going to nine hours for, for bed. Right. They'll be like, right. So we'll, we'll just say whatever that is. They go to bed at nine, they're getting up at six. Right. But they'll yeah. go, they'll come home from work, have their fucking dinner and then they'll go into their bed and lie there and watch like, two or three hours of Netflix, you know, and that plays into a few other things that we're going to discuss, but it also conditions you to not have your bed as an association with sleep. Right. So I uh, like they always say like your bed should only be for two things, uh, for romance, uh, and, uh, sleep, you know, like they're the only two, two things that should be happening in your bed. Right. So, if you're conditioning yourself to think of like, oh no, like I do work when I'm in bed or I do a lot of, you know, uh, college work, business work, answer emails, play on your phone, uh, watch, watch movies, w whatever it is, you know, then, you know, that's not a good approach for conditioning yourself to 
associate sleep with being in your bed. And this is especially important for those people that find that they have a really hard time getting to sleep. You know, like you want to have yourself conditioned so that, you know, you get into bed, all that's on your mind is sleep. You know, like all that you associate with being in bed, having the covers on is sleep. That's, that's all you, all you associate with, uh, with, with your bed is just sleep. Right. Um, so that's definitely something that you should try implement, not just the, the, Oh, I'm going to say I have nine hours in bed. You also have to say that, okay, what am I doing in bed other than sleeping? Right. And ideally again, it wouldn't be anything else other than, you know, maybe a bit of romance. Um, but that, that's, that's what you should be thinking when you do this. And this again brings us to the, the next point, which is, you know, you want to avoid any of those kind of electronics or anything like that as you get to bed, right? So you want to, like you can say again, you want to avoid blue light. Sometimes that's a little bit impractical. You know, you might get to get home late and you need to turn on the light because it's fucking dark in your house. Um, you can get into stuff like blue light blocking glasses. But I always think as well, it's like, you know, there's not actually, the research on that isn't as conclusive as people make it out to be. Like I always think of it as well. Like it's done on, all our research is done on average populations. But if you're following this, you know, you probably eat your vegetables. And uh, that means that like stuff like uh, carotenoids, you know, build up in your retinal pigment epithelium. And again, that can also play a role in blocking blue light or having a, normal response to blue light late at night so that you don't get a reduction in melatonin synthesis in response to blue light so it's like this you know maybe is something you can think about but it's also not necessarily something that you need to absolutely do especially if you are eating you know a lot of diverse range of uh vegetables especially stuff like you know tomatoes and stuff stuff that has lutein in it lutein is probably <coughs> one of the best ones for that but anyway that's an aside and um, you should try to avoid electronics before you go to bed. Because I know a lot of people do that, and that, that's essentially serving two things. You're getting a lot of blue light straight into your eyes if you're on, on your phone or whatever right before you go to bed. And then also you're stimulating yourself. You know, you're on your phone and you're in your bed texting away or fucking on Instagram or on YouTube or whatever else. And it's not something that is conducive to getting to sleep and then also, you know, being asleep, you know? Um so you always find this as well. A lot of people will say that they really struggle with getting to sleep, but then you look at the habits that they're engaging in and they're on their phone in their bed for the hour before, you know, or they're again on Netflix or whatever else. And it's like, this, this is not conducive to sleep. So, you know, you need to get rid of that so that we can actually assess your ability to actually fall asleep, you know? So again, your bed should only be associated with two things, one of which is sleep. Um, and then also in the run-up period to sleep, you should be reducing your exposure to blue light, but also stimulation in the form of, you know, electronics. Um, like even reading a book for some people is too stimulating. They get really into the book and then, you know, maybe they need to have yeah. some sort of light on to, you know, look at the book and it, it just becomes a little bit hard for them to then get to sleep you know they're like oh i want to read another page i want to read another page you know and then again it's it's as, it's as if they were on their phone anyway you know it's not a sleep inducing event you know like i know like myself i always do i'm like oh i want to just read a little bit more on that so like reading before bed for me isn't 
isn't great, you know? Um, but that's, that's the next point on that. Do you have anything else to add to that there, Gary? Um, yeah, I suppose like the one thing I would say is just acknowledging that like, this is probably one of the harder, the harder things to do uh, for most people, because most people have like what I would consider to have like disordered behaviors around social media and stuff like that. Um, and I've been there in the past. Like I remember like, like that, that summer and the period after, like when I was living with you and we used to just barely even sleep and like get up real early and stuff. Like I remember like for maybe six months after that, I used to, during that time, I used to always like sleep with my phone next to my bed. And that was before I started like deleting social media off my phone and just not really using it regularly and all that sort of stuff. And during that period of time, you know, I always knew that like, I always had notifications. I always had messages. There was always something there. So that was always like on my mind. So from, if I woke up during the middle of the night or if I was trying to go to sleep, I'd just be there, you know, on my phone, scrolling, you know, responding, you know, seeing what people said in response to my stories. Cause you almost feel like you're constantly part of some sort of conversation. So that's what you end up doing. And then if you wake up during the night and you're kind of sitting, you're lying there awake, you're like, Ah, well, sure, look, I may as well engage in this conversation because, you know, there's people there again. So it's very easy to get into those sort of disordered behaviors. And like, there's, there's other things that can happen. Like, for example, some people will lie in bed listening to audiobooks or podcasts, which can be helpful in some cases. But again, one of the things I found myself doing was I used to do that as well. Keep my phone next to my bed, listening to an audiobook or a podcast. And if it's stimulating and interesting, I'm not falling asleep because I'm, I'm focused on it. I'm like, yeah, this is great. Cool. Yeah. Got that. Thinking about that. And sometimes I would even like want to make notes or if they're talking about a website, I want to go to that website. And so you, you have to think about how you're engaging with, with those behaviors. Um, so I can definitely appreciate why people would find that difficult. Like for me, one of the most key things you can possibly do is like, do not bring your phone into the bedroom. Like if that's something you struggle with, just don't have it there. Like just go cold turkey on it, leave it outside the bedroom, get it in the morning. People are like, oh, but I need my alarm. You can buy a cheap alarm clock for a couple of euros in like deals or something. You know, you, you, there's plenty of options there. Um, and that for me has been a game changer in terms of improving my sleep. Um, and it can also help you in terms of getting out of bed quicker in the morning as well because what people find is that when they wake up in the morning they start they lie on their phone for 30 to 60 minutes and that's time that you've then lost so when you're then claiming that oh, i don't have enough time to sleep it's like yeah but if you took out all of those things from your day you might actually have the time to sleep um so yeah it's challenging but it, it's definitely doable and to go back to what you said about the, the electronics and stuff as well it's not just about it's not just about the blue, the, the blue life. You know, I think that's, people think it's all about the blue light, but what you have to also realize is that it's about the, the stimulation and like that, that. What you want to be able to do, leave what happened today, like today and bring forward what you need to, into tomorrow and you don't want that to all be happening in your head as you're going to sleep so for me I don't like working right up until I go to bed because I'm still thinking about that stuff it's real fresh in my mind so what I'll try to do is you know know what I have done make any notes or planning that I need to for tomorrow and if it is the case that I know that I'm going to be that I had I had something to do make that your priority for the next day so have your day planned if you have your day planned another thing is like having your meals prepared 
all that sort of stuff, anything that can reduce your anxiety about the day that's about to come, I think that can be super helpful in terms of clearing your head when you are about to go to sleep. Yeah, something like journaling as well is really good for that because it's like you literally yeah. write down your thoughts for today, anything that's you know caused you anxiety, anything that's caused you fucking mental anguish or whatever, you just write it all down and like that's it's done, right? And that's not to say you've you've dealt with it or anything, but it's like something that you don't need to think about now you're like because i find most people think about things because they don't want to forget those things you know yeah. so they're, they're kind of ruminant ruminate on them uh whereas it's like if you just write this down it's like you know you're not going to forget it because it's written down there you know it's literally on a physical piece of paper or like you can do it on your phone that's fine you know it kind of goes against what we're saying like avoid the electronics but you know if you need to do it there that's perfectly fine and again like you're saying planning what you have to do the next day like again people will do that they'll sit there in bed and think for 60 90 minutes and they're kind of like oh uh you know i need to get this done tomorrow i need to do this tomorrow i need to do this tomorrow and they're constantly thinking about that and it's causing them this kind of anxiety because they're like oh shit, i better not forget that or you know joe really needs to get that email and you know it's yeah. like they're just constantly thinking about that whereas if you just write all of that down then it's done you you know you're not going to forget it and you know especially if you plan the day it's going to get done you know so you don't need to think about it anymore it's out of your brain you've literally taken it out putting it down put it down on a piece of paper and it's done so something like journaling and planning out your day and doing like you say having things planned ahead of time really helps with your actual ability to get to sleep and like you said like any of those kind of stimulating things thoughts electronics you know articles that you're reading online whatever like you want to avoid some of that in the lead up to sleep and one of the best ways I found is, and we, we just touched on it a second ago, but I didn't actually say it, but is setting consistent sleep and wake times, right? So if you know that you always have to get up at 6 a.m., right? We'll just say 6 a.m. Like that's the, that's the time I have to wake up at if I want to get all my stuff done for the day. So we'll just use me as an example. Like I know that 6 a.m. is the, the wake time that I have to get up at. You know, I try to keep that fairly consistent even on the weekends, you know, um, but setting that as my wake time then allows me to work backwards from that and go, okay, well, what is the time I need to be asleep then, right? But then you can also do like, what is the time I need to reduce electronics, uh, reduce stimulatory events from then, right? So having that framework of having consistent sleep and wake times, you know, not just having like, oh, eight hours is the sleep I need to get, but actually having your sleep and wake times consistent across the week really helps as well because we do have like circadian rhythms and they do like to sync up to things like a lot of people talk about circadian rhythms but they, they like we were talking about or what we will talk about because we actually recorded it before this but uh the the next q a video that we're going to do um we were talking about you know the body adapts to things like your body is constantly adapting to the rhythm of the the daily world the, the circadian rhythm uh and it is the actual body's adaptation to that that is the thing that you want to pay attention to rather than the opposite way in terms of you don't want to pay attention to the body's adaptation you want to and then the, the world so you have to think of it like uh your body is trying to sync to the environment you know so if you can then make the sinking event consistent it's a lot easier to actually have a consistent you know you want to feel energized when you wake up so the way you do that is you have your body synced so that when you wake up you feel energized you know um 
So having a consistent wake and sleep time makes a lot of sense. But then on top of that, layering on a consistent wind down time makes a lot of sense. And again, this kind of brings on to the next one as well, which is, you know, activity before bed. You know, and this this is something that uh, is unfortunately very prominent for people. They have to do it. They have to train after work. They have to do that to, you know, actually... You stop making noise over there, Gary. It's actually so fucking frustrating. I will fucking kill you. Um, but anyway, you know, people find it they have to train after work. You know, it's the only time they, they have to train. You know, they, that's just the time that they have available to train. Uh, and they then have to train very close to when they are actually trying to go to sleep then you know, which like I find myself in that as well, because, you know, I obviously, again, as I've said before, like I'm essentially training twice per day, four days per week. You know, I do resistance training in the morning and then I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu at night, you know, and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is quite like physically stimulating, but also mentally stimulating, you know? So like I know for me personally, like I have to have that hour before bed, before bed as a very like wind down event, you know, which is kind of hard because, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu ends at nine o'clock or so, right? And I'm essentially going to bed at 10, you know, but I have to get home from the club and then cook my food for the next day, you know? So like I know for me, like personally, because I have a consistent sleep and wake time that my body just knows, like it's already synced up to that, that, you know, roughly a quarter to 10, like that's when I'm just like, oh, I'm tired, I'm ready for bed. Like my, my body is like, I, I get into bed and I'm straight asleep. You know, there's no like fucking around on my phone. There's none of that. It's just like I literally pull the covers over and within like 30 seconds, I'm asleep, you know, but because I've put all these things in place so that that's the case, you know, but if you are finding yourself in a situation where, you know, you have to train late at night and then you're trying to go to, to bed, you know, you have to have systems in place to either wind down from that or ideally you would train earlier because you see a lot of people do this they they intentionally train late at night when that isn't necessarily the the best way for them to structure their schedule what i mean by this is people will go to the gym at nine you know and they they say the gym closes at half ten we'll say like they actually go to the gym for nine o'clock you know and even though they've had the rest of the evening that they could have gone they also had, you know, maybe they've had earlier in the day. Like you see this a lot in like college students as well. You know, they'll wake up at like 11 a.m., you know, and that's an early start for them. And then they'll go to bed at like two or three, you know, and it's like, okay, well, like you, going to the gym at nine is obviously like a, a later in the day event, but it's obviously not before bed for them if they're going at two or three but also they're doing stuff like you know watching netflix or texting and fucking whatever else before they go to bed and obviously there are differences in sleep cycles you know whether you are a night owl uh, a morning lark or whatever and obviously that changes uh, across your lifespan i fucking swear gary if you keep making noise you're off you're cut you are fucking cut from this podcast <laughs> um, great <laughs> but uh you know so there obviously are differences in that and uh they do vary across your lifespan and obviously you know you may always find that you just like to get to bed later and like to get up later but unfortunately your work schedule or whatever doesn't allow that and um, so there is obviously variability there but as i was saying if you have to train later in the evening you should have some sort of schedule in place so that you can wind down straight away after that 
and then get into get into bed and whether that is something like you know you have a, a shower or something you know you relax you spend some minutes a few minutes like meditating or whatever it is for you as an individual that you need to do to allow you to get straight to sleep as quick as possible again it's more important if you are exercising late at night because you want to be able to still get the eight hours of sleep and also actually get into deep sleep when, when you get them because you will find that as well like some people be like oh yeah well i get to sleep straight away but if you look at like we're saying like you track your sleep and again not hugely accurate but <clears throat> it at least gives you some data to go on you know you'll see these people that exercise late at night and they're essentially just in light sleep for a few hours after that and they don't really get into deep sleep until much later into their into their sleep because you know their body is still very warm the body is still you know like upregulated other processes you know in response to exercise and stuff and essentially the body like the mind or the mind is still asleep like they're they're asleep but their entire body is not asleep like they're not actually getting into the different sleep stages that we want to see so ideally you wouldn't exercise close to bed but again if you do have to there are things that you can put in place to be like okay i need to ensure that that hour before bed or whatever it is is on point so that i'm really bringing myself down relaxing you know ideally the heart rate comes back down to baseline uh, if not below baseline and you know you're ready for for sleep then do you mind that to that Gary? Uh, not a whole pile other than, yeah, agree in terms of your experience with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like some of the classes do tend to be um, quite late. Uh, like like some of the classes that, that I would have went to again would have been like 8 to 10 p.m. sometimes. And for me, like coming home and winding down and trying to get to sleep after that, very difficult. And I would definitely find that like if I wake up the next morning, I, even if I've got the same amount of hours of sleep, I just don't feel as rested. Like it, it, it doesn't feel the same to me. Um, and again, like that might be an individual thing in that like, you might find that like you could do 10 sets of 10 on squats prior to bed and you're just good. And I mean, if that, if that's you, like that's perfectly fine. Again, we're trying to give kind of average recommendations here and that might be useful, but again, you, you always have to put them into practice and see what that, what actually happens. The other thing about exercise and sleep is that like not all exercise is equal. So if you do find that if, let's like, let's say it is the case that two to three days per week, you happen to have to train later whereas other days you can train earlier what i would do is i'd place those easier sessions prior to sleep like for example lower intensity exercise is not likely to be as stimulatory it's not going to excite you as much so like that's probably a better option prior to sleep than going and doing like really hard intervals where your recovery time after is going to be like harder and like you can see that sort of stuff happening if you look at if you do a training session and you look at your heart rate recovery after the session, or you look at your heart rate variability or whatever, you'll see that you were very much still in a stimulated state for hours after. And that's going to vary depending on the intensity of that exercise. So if you do have that freedom within your program, that will be one example of where you could implement your lighter sessions um, prior to sleep. The other thing when it comes to exercise and sleep is that there is this sort of bi-directional pathway going on in that you're far more, you're, you're going to sleep better if you exercise as in like that, that I guess that's our start. Our starting assumption on this podcast is always that like, obviously all of you train. Uh, I, I don't care if it has to be before bed, 
I'd rather you were doing it before bed than not doing it at all. So do you, if you do begin to exercise, that's likely to improve your ability to get to sleep, your quality of your sleep, etc. So that's like, that's that direction. So exercise, improve sleep. In the other direction, the better you sleep and the longer you sleep for, the more effective your exercise is going to be. And this is a really important like thing to recognize that if you are just sleeping more and you don't change your program, you're probably going to be stronger. You're probably going to build more muscle. You're going to have better endurance. You're going to have more energy going to your workouts. You're going to recover better. All of the things that you actually want from your training. So that's one of the things I always say to, to my clients when they're like, all right, you know, not exactly happy with my results. You know, what, what can we do? What can we change with programming? And if I look at their sleep and I'm like, all right, you're sleeping six hours per night. I don't think there's a single program change that I could possibly make that would make more of a difference than us getting that up to seven to nine hours. Like that's going to be a far more significant difference. And like to be, to be fair to people and to, to, to play devil's advocate, we don't have long-term research showing what sort of difference this actually makes from a muscle building perspective. We have some like acute short-term studies, some mechanistic stuff where like you can see that, right, this probably affects some of the hyper hypertrophic signaling. Um, it probably affects your strength within a workout. You know, we've got. And we're vigor going into the workout, uh, your endurance. Like, so it, it does definitely have effects, but can we say that it's going to be, five kilos of muscle over five years we don't know but it's because there's such benefits across the spectrum you'd be silly to not try and get those benefits because like that's one of the, we didn't really touch on like all of the whys but like as, as a quick overview like i just talked touched on all those things as it relates to training it's going to improve your performance it's going to improve your recovery likely to improve your adaptations but then like as you as you go further down the line and let's say you're trying to elicit body composition changes like if your goal is fat loss then like sleep affects basically everything you would want to possibly affect to put you in favor of losing more body fat is in it helps you to regulate your appetite if you're sleep deprived one of the things that we see is that people have a drive to eat more they're poorer at regulating their appetite but not just that they specifically are eating more of those kind of hyper palatable quote-unquote junk foods so people crave more of those foods and everyone has experienced that so if you've got that going on for you then clearly like losing body fat is going to be much more difficult there's also some short-term research um like showing that when people do actually lose weight they lose more muscle and less fat uh, for the same you know calorie deficit so again you have to consider like what is the composition of the, the the weight that you're actually losing however again playing devil's advocate we don't have long-term research showing how how, how how relevant that is to people who are already weight training um and also like the other thing with, with sleep studies, like it can become, it can become um, like there is some hyperbole where people say that, you know, sleep is like sleep is everything. And basically you're wasting your time training if you're not sleeping enough. Whereas a lot of the studies are in people who are totally sleep deprived or deprived to maybe four hours of sleep per night. So what I don't want people to take away from this is that, oh, I missed an hour of sleep last night. Better not train. <laughs> like i'm being stuff like people are generally aware of like if you're sleep deprived you're probably going to have higher, higher risk of cardiovascular disease neurodegenerative disorders like alzheimer's and, and dementia as you age and um, you're going to have poorer memory and retention your poor ability to learn to focus 
So like if you're a student or you're anyone who has a career that you care about, <laughs> sleeping is a good idea. I would agree. All right. And then just related to that, as we were talking about, you know, training before bed and all that stuff. And as I yeah. said, like sleep, like we obviously aren't getting into all this physiology stuff um, or all the yeah. benefits. Again, like read Matthew Walker's book. Like you can go in deep on all of them there. Like if you want, if you're, if you're that interested, you know, um, but obviously it does improve performance, health and body composition. Again, we can argue over, to what extent that it plays a role, but yeah. it is one of the factors that plays into this. So it is something that you should definitely be looking to improve if possible, right? But the next thing we're going to talk about is, uh, we were talking about training before bed, but the next thing is, um, if I could speak, is food before bed, right? Because there's a lot of differing opinions on this, right? And again, a lot of this makes you can make a, a mechanistic argument for a lot of this stuff, right? For one of them is like people will recommend carbohydrates before bed, right? And this is because again, you, know, you get an insulin response. It clears like uh, some amino acids from the blood, uh, the more neutral charged ones. And then you have more tryptophan available to get into cross the blood brain barrier, get into, you know, uh, melatonin synthesis and all this kind of stuff. Right. And again, you can make a very good, strong mechanistic argument and people will find that, okay, I save a lot of my carbs before bed and it helps me sleep. And again, that is definitely something that helps some people. Right. So that's definitely a consideration you need to take in, you know, maybe having a portion of your carbohydrates, you know, a, a good chunk of carbohydrates before bed may help you as an individual get to sleep. So it's something that you should kind of trial. However, there is also the, the fact that, you know, eating and digesting and assimilating is an energy intensive process. And it is a process that requires your body to actually, you know, be active rather than what we want which is you know asleep like that's not to say that sleep isn't an active event it is and um, but it's not a digestively active event you know so you know if you are eating before bed that is something that is stimulating and it does take place over a number of hours so it is potentially something that is hindering you getting to sleep and then you know getting into deep sleep in the first few hours of you know your, your eight hours um, so that is something that you need to be aware of the timing of your food before bed and also the composition of your food before bed do play into this argument now it is a very individualistic argument because some people will notice some things and some people will notice other things and it's not something that you can just completely generalize across the board and say oh yes, if you eat carbs before bed, you're going to have improved sleep. Or if you eat before bed, you know, you're not going to get to sleep for an extra two hours. Like, as I said, like I'm coming home from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like I'm obviously eating before that, you know, and I find I have no issue getting to sleep or staying asleep, you know, or getting into deep sleep as I do that. But again, that's me as an individual. You might find for you as an individual that that's completely different. If you eat the hour before bed, you're just not getting to sleep. It's just sitting in your stomach. You feel bloated. You feel like crap. You know, you're, you're not able to get to sleep. And then also layering on top of that is your ability to stay asleep. And this is what related to when you time your calories, but also the magnitude of your calories. Because you know, you'll find this, especially in people who are you know dieting down like to very low levels of body fat they find that their sleep gets disrupted you know and again they'll find generally they wake up around three or four in the morning and 
This is generally because, you know, we'll say glycogen has run out. And obviously that's not completely true, but we'll say that, you know, blood sugars have got down to a certain level and you know, easy accessible fuel has gotten down to a certain level. So your body to start mobilizing some fuel has released some cortisol, you know, cause that's, that's essentially how we mobilize fuel. Uh, but that cortisol is also what generally is, the body's way of waking you up that's what's supposed to wake you up in the morning you know cortisol is supposed to rise you know and then that's what wakes you up um, <clears throat> but that could be happening in response to a lack of calories you know overall you know you have not enough freely available fuel in the bloodstream in the muscles whatever and you know your body's like okay well we need to start mobilizing some fuel so it releases some cortisol and mobilizes that fuel, which is would be great for keeping you asleep. But unfortunately, cortisol is also somewhat stimulatory, and that then wakes you up, right? And you might wake wake up hungry. You might not wake up hungry as well, you know. So it is something that's very hard to kind of really dial in, and it is something that is an unfortunate reality if you are dieting to very low levels of body fat. You're probably going to have to. Gary doing stuff fucking again. Gary shouldn't be allowed on this podcast. Look, he's leaving now. Um, but yeah, so you might find that if calories aren't where you would ideally like them because you're, you know, you're training for a specific event, you're dieting for a specific event or time, you know, you need to have your calories at a certain level. But that unfortunately then plays into having some sort of dysregulated sleep. There's not a huge amount you can do about it. And it is something that you have to just essentially grin and bear if you are dieting down to those low levels of body fat. Now, related to that is also the timing of those calories because if you are essentially fasting for a long period of time before bed, you know, you say, oh, I stop eating at 2 p.m., you know, the same kind of thing can occur, you know, especially if calories are also lower. So that is something that you can also essentially layer those two things together. If you do notice that your calories are very low and they are causing some sort of dysregulated sleep, you could then also make a good argument that having more of your, your calories before bed may be beneficial in actually helping you stay asleep and not have that you know uh, rise in cortisol around that whatever three to four a.m. kind of time. You know, so that is something you need to pay pay attention to. Very individualistic, and you need to go. Okay, so let me try having some carbs before bed see how that works does it affect sleep you know because obviously you're tracking it you're not just going like anecdotally oh yeah i fucking love uh, some cereal before bed uh, yeah it's a uh, that's to improve my sleep you know that's not what we're saying not using like that kind of anecdote what we're using is you know some sort of measurable data that you're like okay so you know i had more carbs before bed and i noticed on my my sleep tracking whatever it is that you know i had deeper sleep and i also woke up and i was feeling more refreshed so this seems to you know correlate pretty well and then again with the, the calorie side of things you know if you are having you are noticing that you're always waking up very early in the morning you know like the 3 4 a.m time and you know your calories you're dieting you know maybe an unfortunate reality that this is just something that you have to grin and bear until you get to your ideal body weight and um, or body fat but it is also something that you can try portioning your overall calories so that you know you are having a little bit more of them before bed excuse me, before bed so that you can actually try to mitigate having that reduction in overall energy availability. And again, same holds true if you are having no calories, even if calories are sufficient, but you are having a large period of time between your last meal and then bed, we'll say whatever, four plus hours, and then you're noticing that you're waking up 
before in, in the middle of the night because again that we'll say that 3 4 a.m time you know maybe having your calories a little bit closer to bed may be a good idea as well now gary do you have anything to add to that seeing as you run away halfway through that um i was just just peeing you know I suppose the only thing i'd add is like some of us brothers wake up during the night to to pee i know that that doesn't happen to you patty <laughs> but for some individuals, it might be helpful, although I have no actual evidence to support this, to not down a load of water right before bed, potentially. So, yeah, if your sleep is deep enough, you're probably not actually going to wake up to uh, to pee anyway. Um, I definitely find that when I actually do sleep deep enough, I'm able to hold it through the whole night. But uh, some of us brothers and sisters aren't able to do that, so that can be a bit of a problem. Um, but yeah, like on in, in terms of the actual topic you were actually actually discussing, rather than my stupid tangents. Um, yeah, nutri- the one the one thing that I would say that like really really like two things actually, and they're on the opposite side of the spectrum. Two things that really affect my sleep. If I'm in a, if I'm already very lean and in a large deficit, kills my sleep. Like that, that kills me. <laughs> I, I, getting to sleep, waking during the night, and just waking earlier in the morning, it's it's always it's always a bit of a struggle. And like the only way to, for me to, that I found to actually like properly overcome that has been all right, be a little bit less aggressive when you're dieting when you're already lean, which is obviously a fairly sound. Stupid headphones talking to me. Um, but yeah, so that's that side of the spectrum. If I'm already lean and I'm dieting in a pretty sound fashion, um, small deficit, I don't tend to run into those problems either. On the other side of the spectrum, if I have a massive meal before bed, like again, that that kills my sleep. Um, and I also noticed that reflected in blood glucose response the next morning too. Um, and that is reflected, you know, in studies where you do see like overfeeding before sleep or even just general, like a binge eating day that someone will have. You do see changes in blood glucose the next day. But in, ter- in terms of like the actual sleep stuff, like, as you said, like, digestion is an active process to some degree it's something that there's a lot of active processes going on you need your blood to be diverted to the the digestive system for that to take place and sleep is probably not the ideal time for that to be going on so if you are diverting all this energy towards the digestive process um like one of two things are going to happen either your digestion isn't going to be great and you're going to wake up this morning the next morning feeling a bit sluggish in your tummy or or both, um, or your sleep isn't going to to be particularly good because you're not really you're not really winding down as much. Um, so yeah, if you are you know eating out like that, that like would not deciding for whatever reason, I'm gonna have a massive meal. Don't have it right before bed. It's probably not the best idea, like because that that is one of the places where people go overboard. They find that oh, you know what? When I have some porridge in the evening, you know, a nice filling meal, I sleep a bit better, you know. But the but then what they'll do is they'll extrapolate that out to oh, I'm going to get a pizza before bed and I'm going to sleep so good. Whereas <laughs> like that doesn't exactly tend to be the case. So I guess the the, the very simple takeaway there is if you're going to have a meal before bed. You probably you don't want to be going to bed starving, but you also don't want to be going to bed like full to the brim, or to the point where like you're getting a reflux and everything.
Um, so have a, a grand meal before bed and you'll be grand, bye. That's fair. Right, now on to the next point, which is stimulants, right? And obviously this is essentially extending the time course out from that sleep onset event, you know? So some people can handle stimulants right up until they go to bed. I would argue even though they can handle it, they can still get to sleep. You know, it's probably impacting your ability to get to deep sleep. Um, so, you know, it probably makes sense to extend out that time course to essentially have no stimulants in your system or rather not take stimulants for roughly six to eight hours before you go to bed or you intend on going to bed, which again can be hard for some individuals, especially as we said, like people training late at night, they might want to try the super duper explosion, fucking super uh, pump product, you know, pre-workout and you know, that might have caffeine in it, you know, and they're, they're training at nine, you know, it might not be a good idea to have that. There are also products out there that don't have caffeine, don't have stimulants. So maybe switching to one of them would be a good idea. And, but also then you have to acknowledge that if you are having like, you know, coffees or, you know, certain teas or, you know, maybe even like a soft drinks, you know, like a Coke, Pepsi, whatever, they'll have caffeine in them. So maybe limiting your intake, in the roughly six to eight hours before you will, you go to bed is probably a good idea. You know, so for me, again, that would be roughly, you know, if I want to go to bed at 10, like the very latest I'm having, you know, a coffee or whatever would be four, you know, which is relatively late in the, in the day, you know, so you can still have coffees late, but even then that might still affect you as an individual. And I think like that eight hours before bed is probably a better cutoff. So for me again, two, like I usually, I usually have one to two coffees per day. Again, depending on what the day is and what, what's going on. But the latest I'll generally have a coffee is around that kind of one o'clock time. You know, I might have one with lunch or just after lunch or maybe even just before lunch. But around that time, that's generally when I'll have one. And that'll be the, the last of the day for me, you know? So while I personally can actually handle it, I could have this at four five, six, and I'd find I still get to sleep. You know, I have no problem with that. What I do notice is that, you know, my sleep depth and my feeling of recovery the next day isn't where I'd like it. Like I feel a little bit groggier when I wake up, you know, which again, if I'm feeling that, you know, it probably makes sense that it has impacted my sleep depth, sleep recovery, or whatever you want to call it, uh, in a negative way. So for me, I know pushing that time course out and not having it after two makes a lot of sense, makes a difference in my actual sleep quality. And for a lot of people, this this can be a a big issue because they're essentially addicted to caffeine. You know, they're addicted to that hype. And also it's a little bit of a, a vicious circle because you know if you have poor sleep, you know, you're probably more likely to want to take something to, you know, wake you up a little bit more during the day. So you essentially have poor sleep. You need to take, you know, coffee. You need to have three to four coffees the next day to stay awake throughout the day and be somewhat energized. But then that impacts your next day's sleep. So you have poor sleep, which then makes you more tired the next day, which means you have to have more coffee. And then you keep going into that vicious cycle where essentially you're having, you know, four to eight cups of coffee per day. And you're like, my sleep is terrible. I'm just not sleeping well. So that's why I need to have those coffees, you know? So it is a bit of a vicious cycle to get into. And it is something that you need to address 
yourself you know maybe it is something to address on the weekends you know you go okay i'm just going to clear out from caffeine and you know go cold turkey for a while uh, and get your sleep back in order before you then get into a normal relationship with coffee or stimulants overall Mm. you know so that's definitely something that you should be aware of this also obviously applies if you are taking something like you know any kind of the, the methamphetamines you know like maybe you're taking it for actual like disease states or whatever you have fucking adhd or anything like that you know they can impact your overall sleep <clears throat> so you do need to be aware of that generally people are pretty smart with that and they'll have their their fucking their their meth uh earlier in the day um you know in the morning maybe even in the afternoon time generally it's in the morning though um so that is something that you do want to be aware of that any kind of stimulants may be impacting your sleep and as a result you just have to time them correctly yeah like it can be a bit of a vicious cycle for students as well because like you know obviously like students end up quite dependent on caffeine a lot of the time it's not uncommon for lots of students and particularly like medical students to start taking things like um, modafinil, adrafinil, other types of other types of stimulatory compounds that affect your, your focus, your alertness, et cetera. So like what can end up happening there? Like you, like you're alluding to is you use all the, the stimulants to get through the day, but then you don't sleep properly. So then you need more stimulants and then you don't sleep properly. So you need more stimulants and, and, and so on and so on. So you do want to be mindful of the fact that like, your initial need, the first step in the chain could be the very fact that you're not sleeping well. So you may as well try and address that first. Um, you also have to appreciate that. For example, the, depend, like the, the individual versions of the cytochrome P450 enzymes that you happen to have. So the enzymes that are actually responsible for metabolizing caffeine, there's like variations in those are quite common. You So you could be like someone that is a quote unquote fast metabolizer or someone that's a quote unquote slow metabolizer. So those two people are going to have different responses. So if you think about like that actual, the, metabol- the metabolism of caffeine, like for you, you could be having a coffee at 3 p.m. of a slow metabolizer. Like you still have a lot of that caffeine in your system, even if you're going to sleep at like 12 midnight. Okay, so you still got a lot of caffeine in your system, whereas the other person who's metabolizing that much quicker could have that out of their system and cleared a lot quicker. So this is why you shouldn't take advice off someone based on their own individual experience, because there are, there is a, a lot of variability in this stuff. And like I think I think the average like half life of caffeine is something like six to nine hours. And um, like some people say six, some people say nine. That's again down to that variation. But regardless, if we even just assume that the, the half life is say six hours. If you have a coffee at 3 p.m., like that means that half of that caffeine is still in your system, so to speak, at 9 p.m. Okay, so that, that's half of that caffeine. And people like to kind of leave it at that. They're like, oh, yeah, you still have caffeine there six hours. But it's like, no, 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 that's half-life. Okay, so then you have to take another half-life and, and think about where that is six hours later at 3 a.m. So if you're taking like some of the energy, like, you know, you see some people in the gym, I'm like, Kyle Mullen, for example, Kyle is Kyle takes like a monster or one of those bang energy drinks or whatever it is, and then scoops in some pre-workout as well. So you could be talking about like 500 milligrams of caffeine. And to be fair, like that's actually a relatively wise decision if you're trying to maximize the benefits you're getting in, in training, because like they're the doses that are used in research. So if you use an evidence-based dose of ca- dose of caffeine, say you go with eight milligrams per kilo of body weight, which for me might be around 600 milligrams, let's say, you go with that, you have that at 3 p.m. before your workout. 
you've got 300 milligrams at 9 p.m. You've got 150 milligrams in your system at 3 a.m. 150 milligrams is the same as one can of Monster. Would you have one can of Monster at 3 a.m. if you wanted to sleep well? Like, oh, clearly yeah. not. <laughs> Absolutely, bro. So you do have to think about how that plays out over a long, longer time span. Um, and, and you have to pay attention to it, too. Because that's the thing. Like, you can't just say it. You have to actually say, right, I had a, what, what, what time did I have coffee yesterday? And then how did I sleep? Make some notes, you know, actually see how it is affecting you in the real world. Um, and like, if you want to just be conservative, have your morning coffee, leave it at that. All right. Not practical for everyone. That's pretty much what I do. I try not to have any caffeine afternoon anymore. Um, like some days I do, but a lot of the time I won't anymore. I'll just have morning coffee. I might have some tea later in the day, but, but that. Those seem like I would have some of the, the actual variants that would lead me to be a quote unquote slow metabolizer um, based on the 20, 23andMe like questionable reliability, but there you go. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the caffeine stuff. Pay attention, make notes and, and adjust as you see fit. All right. That's pretty much everything we wanted to yeah. cover. However, there is one more thing, which is how do naps play into this? Right, because obviously we're saying, you know, okay, have you know a uh, eight hours, solid eight hours. We'll say that's our recommendation: solid eight hours of actual sleep time, which is probably about nine hours of you know sleep opportunity time. You know, <clears throat> so how do naps play into this? Is that something that you sleep have a nap for an hour in the day, and does that take away from the eight hours you need at night? You know, uh, or is it something that or if you can get an, a nap, it just adds on to the benefits? Or what's the story with naps, Gary? Yeah, so the way I generally think of naps is that you can use them as a kick up the arse or genuinely being restorative. So a kick up the ass is like what you used to call your whatever three-minute naps <laughs> you used to have. I think Jocko does a, a separate thing, a similar thing. He's like, he was asking the podcast, do you ever take naps? And he's like, yeah. And then they were like, uh, how long do you take them for? And he's like, seven minutes. <laughs> all right Jocko it's real specific <laughs> um but yeah like you can use them as like a kick up the arse like it could be a 10 to 20 minute nap just to kind of you know rub some of the cobwebs off and, and get you going again and like the the beauty of those really short naps is that they don't take you into the deeper stages of sleep so yeah they might make you feel a little bit better in the short term but they're not taking you to the stages of sleep where you're going to wake up feeling like you've literally been hit by a bus and that's what happens with most people with naps they'll nap for like 40 minutes and you're just transitioning into the deeper stages of sleep. And when you wake up, you actually feel like death. You feel worse. So what I would say to people is that you can use them for that kick up the arse, real short naps, or you can use long that you know that's the length of a cycle, like a generally go with 90 minutes to be safe. If you can, if you can get an hour and a half of a nap, I would say that's going to be a little bit more restorative in terms of making up for some of the sleep debt you've accumulated. Um, so that's the way I would dichotomize them. I would say that, right, you want to get one that's maybe an hour and a half to, to two hours long, like that'd be fantastic. Or just get a little shoe up the arse for 10, 20, like maybe even 30 minutes. Um, that's the way I tend to think about it anyway. Like, but again, it's, it's a personal thing. If you find that a 45 minute nap leaves you feeling like a king, like yeah, go for it. Like, you know, do whatever actually works for you. Um, so yeah, I would say it's not really going to take away from your sleep debt, 
unless you're actually getting in like a proper sleep cycle. So if you can get a, one that is long enough, that, that might help you out. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen that much research to really like show long, long-term effects. Um, one of the things that, that I, I think is somewhat established is that you probably want to have a nap earlier in the day um, if you can, rather than having one, you know, later in the day where it could potentially um, slow down or, or increase your sleep latency. So the time between when you go to bed and actually falling asleep. And that, that is what some people find, like students, and especially like people in my class who you think you'd be real clued in about health and stuff. Because some people are real guilty of this. They, what they do is they'll go home from college at 4 or 5 p.m., they lie down, start watching Netflix, and then they fall asleep for two hours. And then they wake up and they're like, oh, it's 8 or 9 p.m. And then they end up staying up till like 3 a.m. again and get out, getting up for college again. And I'm like, man, you need you saw your life out. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, there's so many people that live like that, just kind of like fall asleep whenever and just all over the place. But yeah, I wouldn't advise doing that. Like, if you can, you're far better off to come home from work or college when you're tired at 5 or 6 p.m. And just stick it out, man. You know, stick it out till 9 or 10 p.m. And then get a proper night of sleep. So you want to do your best to get into the, a cycle where you don't actually need naps. Don't become dependent on them. Um, because it can, it can sometimes mess with your ability to get to sleep at night. Um, so, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I just Any look at naps as a little bit of a, a top up. Like, I don't yeah. think they should ever take away from the eight-hour recommendation. Like, I don't think... Yeah, I agree. Potentially, like I could see it being a viable thing if you know that you you're essentially working two jobs, say, you know, so you can only get six hours of sleep, and you're doing one job, we'll say, early in the day, and then you have a three-hour gap, and then you're doing the other job later in the day, you know. And I can see a, a place where like you've done a six-hour nap or a six-hour sleep there, and you have like a two-hour nap or whatever. It's like okay, cool. Like that's probably the best bet in terms of you getting enough sleep with the schedule that you have that's perfectly cool right but outside of that or people with extremely busy schedules that just don't allow them to have an eight hour chunk of time where they can actually sleep i'm like you should probably only view naps as additional sleep rather than something that replaces your need for eight hours you know so the ideal goal would always be to get an eight hour block of time where you are actually asleep just continuously you know, and then if you have to have a nap after that, that's perfectly cool. Um, again, like you were saying, I would view those. There is a distinction between the different types of naps. You know, you could have a a smaller nap that is literally just like kind of resting your eyes. You know, kind of just almost like meditation, if that makes sense. Where you're kind of just like bringing the heart rate back down and just kind of you know relaxing a little bit, not thinking about all the things that you have to do and whatever else, and then the longer, more restorative nap of like, you know, we'll even say 60 minutes to one hour to two hours kind of time, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, I, I agree with you on the nap front, you know, they're a nice addition, but they're definitely not required. They're definitely not something that I would be doing later in the day for sure. Uh, and there's a lot of individuality to this. Like some people will go like, Oh, I need 10 hours of sleep. And my, life doesn't allow that and i'm like cool like if you need to have a two-hour nap to allow you get 10 hours in a 24-hour period i'm cool with that you know um but you know there is a lot of individuality to this yeah and i suppose like the one thing that i would like finish up by saying is that if we're 
like we're, we're kind of speaking mainly to an audience like our audience who we assume are you know they've got multiple different priorities such as your job or college um, and your training and you know your family or whatever but if if i was a if i was someone who considered myself to be a genuine athlete you know i would be saying uh, scrapping the seven to nine hours and i'd be like all right nine to ten hours like i would be trying to do everything i could to get as much sleep in as possible you know i think it's is it is it phelps that sleeps like 12 hours a day like it doesn't really matter because you know you hear all these you hear all these things about athletes but like a lot of very high level athletes will do everything they can to just sleep as much as they can and i don't expect anyone to try and start sleeping 12 hours a day like like unless you are that kind of professional athlete but i i say that because there's so many people that consider themselves to be you know like body like for example bodybuilding is life like there's some people in our audience that would be like that like if you if i was that type of person i would be worrying far less about half of the, the nutrition and supplement things that people worry about and i'd just be like all right i'm literally going to sleep like i am an infant <laughs> that is what i'm going to do i'm going to sleep and train and work the bare minimum i can to keep my bodybuilding going <laughs> because you do see a lot of those behaviors in bodybuilding where they they're the most meticulous people about everything but then they'll get up at like 5 a.m to do cardio and it's like, like, why did you do that? Like, you, you didn't, you didn't actually need to do that. And it's like, when did you go to bed? I went to bed around eleven, and I took my last dose of like clenbuterol at like seven p.m. And I was like, well, that was a bad idea, you know. So, like, like that is another consideration is that like some people do take like performance enhancing drugs for the purpose of improving their performance or body composition or whatever, and they do so sometimes at the expense of sleep, which could potentially lead to adaptations that are similar. Like, obviously not like six hundred milligrams, you know, whatever. Where they're doing, like if you're if you're competing at a high level and you're like, you know what, this is actually what I like. This is my main thing. And if you're saying like my job and 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 my studies, like they're there, but athletics is my priority right now. Then I would really be, I would not be thinking of that seven end of the equation when we say seven to nine hours like i'd be thinking right i want to get eight and then i want to get nine and then you know if i can i'm gonna get 10 hours of sleep per night because you need like the more recovery time the more time you have to be able to recover all of your systems the better your outcomes are essentially going to be yeah you essentially just need to view it as a recovery tool and again like if you yeah. are recovering for 10 hours and your competition is only recovering for eight hours it's like well that already puts you at an advantage you know? Yep. Um, so the fact that in now that's obviously not to say like if you feel recovered and you're like I literally couldn't sleep anymore like I'd just be lying in bed and like that's fine you don't you don't need it you know and um, so obviously again individuality in it this is there's not a podcast to be like this is the exact thing you as a, an individual need to do like that's it's obviously impossible to yeah. do however this the goal of the podcast is to give you things to kind of start springboarding from and start thinking about. I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and go, nah, I don't need to improve my sleep. But, you know, they'll, they'll eventually come around in two, three, five years' time and they'll measure their sleep and be like, Jesus Christ, I wish I got this sorted when I was younger, you know, when I listened to that podcast, first of all. Because I know certainly, like, I wish I got my sleep sorted earlier. You know, it's Me hard too. to do because, again, like, you, you obviously do have, like, especially us too, because, you know, we're in college, we have a business to run. 
you know, we have fucking sporting goals, we'll call them, you know, and obviously we have some sort of a social life, you know, there's, we obviously have a lot of things going on, but then again, so do, so does everyone else, you know, like everyone yeah. else has stuff going on. So that's a bit of an excuse um, on our behalf, you know, but it literally is like, um, so, you know, you need to factor this in. And I've always been the person that, you know, I don't notice any decrement from not sleeping enough. You know, if I only sleep six hours, I'm like, my strength doesn't take a hit. You know, my performance doesn't take a hit. You know, nothing subjectively or somewhat objectively takes a hit. You know, in the gym, I'm still able to grind through it. Uh, but what I do notice is that my long-term rate of progress is reduced. You know, so say for example, I'm able to gain five kilos per month on a lift, right? Uh, when I'm perfectly well slept, you know, that might only go down to 2.5 kilos when I'm not well slept, you know? So I can kind of lie to myself and say, oh, I'm still making progress. It's all good, you know? Whereas my rate of progress has slowed dramatically, you know? So again, you do have to take the, the individual into account and you do need to actually pay attention to this stuff, even if you think that, oh, well, it's not affecting me because I am still progressing. I am still, you know, getting stronger, getting leaner, getting healthier, getting fucking bigger, whatever the fuck your goal is, you know? Um, you do still need to take into account that sleep is probably only going to enhance your goal, you know? Unless your goal is to be, I don't know, awake for a week or something. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I have nothing else to add to that, Gary. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? I don't think so. I think that was pretty comprehensive. Do you, yeah? I do, yeah. Did you compare it to all the notes that you made? Sure, there's countless other things we could talk about. Like, for example, should you drink alcohol or smoke weed before bed? No. It might help you get to sleep. It doesn't improve your sleep quality. That's that going. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Just no, like no, sorry, bro. Like those, those blunts you're smoking before sleep are not the secret. Because lots of people say that, and it's like yeah. no, no, that's not how it works. Yeah, like we could also go same into, with alcohol. Yeah, we could also go into like supplements and stuff, and like yeah, people will say things, but like there's actually very little research on the majority of supplements. Like melatonin is probably the only one that I'd be like, yeah, yeah that's obviously going to improve your ability to get to sleep to some extent because that's literally the hormone that makes you go to sleep. You know, so if you if you supplement with it, like you would presume that it would do something. Now what effect you would see, you know, that's again an individual response. You know, maybe you respond to three milligrams, maybe you respond to nine milligrams. I don't fucking know. Um but also people will say stuff like, you know, magnesium as a sleep supplement. And it's like magnesium, if anything, is an energy supplement, as we've talked about before, like ATP in the body is down to magnesium. So anything you see that ATP is involved in, you know, magnesium is involved in. That's why you always see people like, oh, it's 300 to 500 enzymatic uh, processes in the body. It's like, yeah, of course, because ATP is involved. And um, so, you know, it, magnesium is not a, a sleep supplement per se. Uh, it may actually help improve it, but that's because it's providing, you know, the, a part of the substrate that's needed for ATP overall, you know, so it's playing into an energy process, which, you know, sleep is an energy intensive process. You know, and there's also other supplements like say glycine or something like that, um, that, you know, may play a role in, you know, calming down the nervous system, et cetera, and helping you sleep. But all this stuff I'm like, like it's so minuscule in comparison to getting the big hitters, like the lifestyle things and actually 
you know, having a sleep schedule that you're kind of pissing away your money unless you actually have all those things in place. And that's not to say that the supplements are not beneficial. Like I could make a fucking sleep supplement stack that would probably be fucking unreal at getting you to sleep and helping keep you asleep, you know? But you're going to notice no benefits from that if you fucking drink coffee an hour before you go to bed while you're resistance training and fucking uh, looking at a fucking blue light as you resistance train, you know? It's like you have to do all these other things that play into your overall sleep and you can't just be like, I take a supplement, so it's all G, bro. You know, it's not. You actually have to do the lifestyle things, which most people just don't want to do. They just want to take a pill or a powder or fucking some potion or whatever that'll help them sleep, you know? When realistically, there's so much extra that goes into it than just... A supplement. And again, like you said, you mentioned earlier on CBD. Like, I don't even care. Like, if people notice a placebo effect, cool. We just don't have research to show that it is effective. If you notice it improves your sleep, fucking go for it. You're probably wasting a lot of money on it, though, because it's relatively expensive for placebo. So, you know, unless it's like you're fucking vaping it or something and you like to taste it, and there's another factor that goes into it, you know, fucking maybe you could then argue, but realistically I would do the lifestyle things first rather than going, Oh, I'm going to spend money. You know, like you can't just throw money and try to improve your sleep. It, you actually have to do things, you know? Yeah. I have something else to add, Gary, for you. Um, yeah, no, the only thing would be, you touched on it at the beginning, but you know, if you are, if you are overweight, you're carrying a considerable, considerable amount of body fat, especially if it's around your neck um, and to be honest, that includes if you are heavily muscled and you find that you find that when you do sleep, you know, you're never restored and people tell you you're constantly snoring, etc. I would, you know, get screened for sleep apnea like that. That's something that is it's such a, an, an easy fix. You're well. That you then sleep with that can like really enhance your sleep going into the future and your quality of life. So um I would do that if I was concerned that, that was that was a problem. So um that's something you speak to your doctor about, you know, not PTs. The Chad PTs versus the Virgin Doctors. So guy has life. <laughs> life is great. Got a podcast with Mr. Sotak Andres after this. He said to say hello. Ah, hello, Sotak. Um, I don't think he listens to our podcast, to be honest, but all right. What a scumbag. I know. I'm going to fucking beat him up now. I'm going to go over to Romania and beat him up. They've got some nice mountains over there. I might actually go. I know. I'd be in for that. He lives in uh, Transylvania. Does he? Vlad, the fucking lad. Um, but yeah life is good with me nothing else to add you know we're fucking on the hype train with YouTube videos these days so if you're not following us there it probably makes sense to, to do that because you know that's where we're putting out most of our content um, well not most of our content most of our content goes on our website but I'd say the second amount of usable content goes on YouTube and um, you know, like Instagram, 
Instagram's fairly shit. Like I don't have an Instagram anymore because it's, it's pretty terrible. Like uh, Gary basically never goes on Instagram anymore. Like we have Facebook because again, we have a, a free Facebook group there and we like interacting with people on that. And it's, it's nice, it's a nice format for that. And I don't have to build uh, a forum myself then, uh, which, you know, just not really arse doing. Uh, <laughs> um, so Facebook is good. You can find us there, you know, follow us, uh, or not even follow, you can follow us there as well, but uh, you can join the Facebook group, the free Facebook group where we, you know, discuss things, link articles, you know, put fucking papers in there, just chat shit, you know, basically where we hang out. Um, so get in on that if you wish to hang out further. Uh, we do also have a load of services available and we say it all the time, but, you know, get involved with that if you do want to. You know, we do have uh, group coaching spaces available. That we actually, like it's, it's unlimited, so there's always going to be spaces available with that, both a female group and a male group. So if you are interested in that, get involved. You know, the links are in the description box or whatever and uh, same with online coaching like we're, we're filling up pretty quick now so again if you are interested get involved um, and then we also have books available so if you're like i don't really need coaching of any kind but i wouldn't mind you know putting together a program myself and just making sure that it's somewhat well thought out you know we have three four five and should have six day programs available soon enough. So, you know, get involved there. And again, if you are a beginner and you're kind of like, Oh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what's going on. We do also have a beginner ebook, you know, and again, it's all linked below in the, the shop. Um, so, you know, get on there. And if you are a subscriber to the email, uh, which goes out weekly, um, you know, you do get a 10% discount in the store. So that would be a good idea to for mm-hmm. the email and get the 10% discount and then use it in the store. If you are thinking of buying an ebook and um, well, yeah, Gary, that's my uh, sales pitch. Um, do you have anything else to add to that? Hmm. <clears throat> Actually, don't there, think so. there is, we're going to Broderick Chavez's uh, seminar. Uh, I think there is still spots available. For that yes there are yeah in dublin dcu yes um so both myself and young gary will be there and um, i know a good few people from the facebook group are going so be happy to see them there uh, especially my boy gabby cusack and i'm gonna double leg takedown i'm gonna break his kneecap and um but yeah so i know a good few people are going there and um, so if you're interested in that you know Look it up, literally Broderick Chavez, Dublin. You'll find it. Buy tickets. There's two days of events. We're going to both days. Uh, it'll be lit. In. Do you mind not shouting, Gary? In. Right, I'm going to wrap this up so you can go talk to Zotac. Peace, love, and prosperity to you all. And remember that it is, in fact, too easy.